Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast TV Special Part 2. Such was the success of TV Special Part 1. I don't know if it was success or laziness, but yeah. (laughs) It it was my idea, so it can't have been a failure. Oh no, that's right, of course, of course. Uh, Anyway, I'm Stephen Orne, joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, This week we will be starting off by... Uh, with the quiz. There's no news this week. Nothing has happened in the world of film at all. Um, yeah, nothing important. No. Well, just, there's just nothing. <laughs> uh, so we will be having a little quiz, but James is doing it this week because of a technical issue at my end. Then we'll be reviewing Shane Meadows' uh, A Field in England. Not Shane Meadows. <laughs> Isn't it? Who is it? It's Ben Wheatley. Oh, I'll edit this out. Ben Wheatley's Field in England. Why did I think that? They made England. He did. Yeah. Uh, this is England. Sorry, he did. This is England, and also they're they're kind of similar yeah. low lo-fi British independent filmmakers as well. I, I can I, I can see how you would get the two confused. To be honest, Steve, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like you call him Michael Bay or something <laughs> like that. Uh, anyway, we can edit all this out and make it sound like I said what I was meant to say. Ben Wheatley. Yes, that's not happening. <laughs> Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, then we've got um, what we've been watching, TV special, and then Triple Bill, which this week is what TV shows we like to see made into films. Uh, so James, you want to start us off with the quiz? Okay, so yeah, here we go with the quiz. Now the quiz, as it's the TV special, this is a movie actor, but I'm going to come up with television shows that they've appeared in, uh, and I want you to tell me which actor this is. And the first one is The Larry Sanders Show. It's all very mm. quiet there. The next I've one... I've never heard of The Larry Sanders Show. You've never heard what? of The Larry Sanders Show? It's incredible. It's on Netflix. It's well, we'll chat about that later. Next one is Twin Peaks. Okay, I'm now going to say Californication. Oh, Jerry. Yes. Um, David Duchovny? Correct! Yeah, so I was then going to get to the easy ones. I was going to talk about Red Shoe Diaries. Oh, I used oh, to love watching Red Shoe you, Diaries. You, you, were, you were doing that out of order then? I was doing that out of order, yeah. I do them in order. <laughs> this is... This is... See? This is an outrage. I just, I just thought this guy had like a massive gap in his career for a minute. Also, oh, no, also, you, yeah. you threw me by saying he was um, a film actor who's done TV. Because I would consider David Duchovny a TV actor who's appeared in films. If we're getting a bit... Some, well, you know, he's known for X-Files mainly, isn't he? 
He is known for He's X-Files, done two yeah. X-Files films and Evolution. Steve, I think you need to take this back next week. He was clearly in... a massive failure. <laughs> he was in Zoolander as well, wasn't he? The he guy was with in the Zoolander. Hand. Yeah. He was in Evolution as well. Um, yeah. And he... Oh, oh, and The Simpsons. Uh, it, he played Fox Mulder in The Simpsons in a fantastic early episode of that. But yeah, um, you should really look into Larry Sanders' show, Jerry. I think you'd like it a lot. What's it about? So, um, it's about it's a really it's quite a meta US comedy about a talk show host called Larry Sanders who's played by Gary Shandling, and um, it's it features real life actors playing themselves on the set of this talk show, which is quite like Conan O'Brien or David Letterman, um, but it's actually it stars Rip Torn as well as the um, the arty the over eager producer and stuff like. That. It's just a really really funny. Um, and it, actually, it was one of the kind of more adult American comedies, one of the first ones that had a lot of bad language and talked about... It was very cynical. It was um, BBC2 used to show at the same time as Seinfeld, basically, as a double bill. It was a brilliant, brilliant show. Okay. There you go. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, with no news and the quiz over, we'll be back uh, shortly with our review of Fielded England. <laughs> A Field in England by Ben Wheatley. Yes. Um, James, discuss. Okay. <laughs> well, um, there, there, there because, was quite a lot of... Well, well basically, before, before we go any further, I think we should really say that two of us didn't even finish watching it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, let's just... Yeah, it's introduced... It's Ben Wheatley's fourth film. Um... And the reason we're discussing this in our TV special is in a very unique form of distribution, which was uh, part funded by the BFI. Uh, ben Wheatley's new film, A Field in England, was released simultaneously on the same well, simultaneously on the same day on DVD and Blu-ray in cinemas on video on demand, and then it showed at 10:45 on Film Four, all in the same day. So it's, we wanted to look at this. It was quite an exciting experiment in the way films could be distributed, especially a low-budget film like this. I think its budget was about 300 grand. So uh, it is a Civil War-era psychedelic horror thriller trip um, starring Reece Shearsmith from The League of Gentlemen, uh, Michael Smiley from um, a number of Ben Wheatley films uh, and also most recently seen in Luther, Another other, a number of other British actors as well, including Julian Barrett from... Uh, the Mighty Boosh, um, in black and white, and it's it's experimental, I think is, is fair to, to say. It's mental. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we, I should point out, um, Jerry and Steve couldn't finish it. Um, me being the pro I am, stopped it halfway through, thought I couldn't finish it, realised that Luther wasn't on until the day after, <laughs> so I didn't have anything to watch, so I ploughed through and I'll, watched the end of it. And I'll be honest, I think the second half improved for me, but um, yeah, I, I didn't get it. Well, I, I I'll let, really yeah, let's let someone say something good about it first. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was a bit strange at first, um, but once it got going, which was quite early on for me, it didn't really wait until the second half. I was quite, I was enjoying it from perhaps sort of five ten minutes in once you got into the the gist of what's going on in it, which. Actually, that's a bit unfair. Even like towards the end, I still wasn't sure of what actually was going on in it. But you know, I still found it really interesting. There was bits in it where you have to sort of stop and think about what what does that mean. Like, okay, the, the bit 
where they're, you know, tugging the rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought, what the hell is this? What, do, what on earth does this mean? Which do, I, I can understand if it's, you know, frustrating. If you, you, you just want to watch a film, you don't want to have something that's too weird like that in the film. It doesn't make any sense. But then you kind of got to think about what it means and what, what it's representing in the film. And I, I thought that was really cleverly worked into the film through the whole the whole thing, especially when you take into account that the main characters in it, the, the English Civil War deserters, who are played brilliantly, by the way. I think mm. Rhys Shearsmith is yeah. just a fantastic character actor. Um, it, you know, it's, all, it's a bit trippy, isn't it? I mean, the, the whole thing Possibly, is that they yeah. take a load of mushrooms and so you've got to kind of work out as the viewer what about it is um, sort of fantasy or what's a hallucination and what is actually happening and what you what you can make sense of which I thought was it, I thought I found it fascinating I thought it was really good I, what I will say is um, yeah I, I'm, I enjoyed say for example I know Holy Motors me and Steve had an interesting discussion about yeah. it not that long ago I enjoyed that um, Barbarian Sound Studio which was another film Hmm. quite recently that I loved which really did play with perceptions of reality there was elements of surrealism um and I think a field in England is one of those films where if you if you don't fall into its groove you just go what uh, I yeah. think so, and it is it is hard work unless you kind of uh, yeah, unless you just get into that rhythm with it quite quickly uh, and I just didn't uh, and parts of it felt to me like it was Ben Wheatley's first film. It, yeah, at times it, and I've, I still haven't seen Kill List yet, uh, but I've got it down to see, but I, I loved Sightseers mm. uh, last year, it was one of my favourite films from last year, and this felt like the film that Ben Wheatley made at university before he started making proper films, That that's that's how, and which is probably a little unfair because what I will say is I agree with you. The performances were fantastic, and you wouldn't get that level of performance in a student film kind of thing. Because um, Reece Shearsmith is fantastic in this, really, really good. Uh, Michael Smiley mm. is horrible um, <laughs> as O'Brien. He is a really sinister presence in this film, and there are some great set pieces which really unnerved me. Were quite there's this moment in a tent, yeah. which is just one of the most horrific things without actually a lot of violence or gore and it's just it's just a, an assault on the senses um which was very impressive there were a number of impressive set pieces but at times it actually felt like a really good pop video um or not not pop but a, but a music video like maybe radiohead would make or something like that yeah one of these young bands that they listen to and stuff like that <laughs> but um it felt like yeah, there were a lot of abstract images which would have worked well purely on a kind of 10-minute extended music video th- thing for me. I pro- it probably would have been one of my favourite music videos of all time if it just been down to, the, to 10 minutes. The bits where they just kind of stood in poses like they were in a painting and stuff like that. To, do you know what? That actually, to me, felt like a little bit of a homage to Barry Lyndon. I don't know if, I, I don't know if yeah. that was intended. Um, but actually, considering the, the era... Um, and the fact that Kubrick set up tableaus before he started that I, I don't I honestly don't know if it was intended. Quite often with surrealist cinema, it, it, uh, most of it's about what you read into it. But I read into that actually a, a homage to Barry Lyndon. I don't know how I don't know how accurate that was in terms of what Ben Wheatley was thinking. Um, there was I thought there were a few funny lines. I, I, I did I laughed a few times. Um, 
but in the end, I, it's just it just got too much for me, and I I, I want. It sounds bad. I just wanted a bit more story. Uh, I, well, I didn't sit down to watch that film, and I've thought about it since, and maybe I was a little bit harsh in my initial views. I, I still didn't like it, uh, and I didn't get on with it. But part of that will be because that wasn't the film I wanted to watch. Well, interesting. Yeah, I don't mean to be crude and northern here, but if that's the film you wanted to watch, you've probably gone wrong somewhere. <laughs> terrible. Oh, I mean, me and you, Jerry, we usually get on quite well on films as well. It's I like, know. What well, I mean, this it was just, it was like he'd spent the last five years with no one telling him that's a shit idea. Stop being an arsehole. He's like completely. It's, it's filmmakers completely up their own arse. All this kind of stuff. It's just, it just felt pretentious, indulgent. Nothing really happened. It was doing stuff for the sake of doing things. I, I mean, oh, that was just... Right, some of the shots were quite nice, some of the photography was quite nice. But I quite like pretentiousness and indulgence if if I'm enjoying it, and I think that's... To me, that was one oh, of the yeah. things. I mean, I'm not saying it all has to be gritty and realistic. You know, I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of European cinema mm. can be seen as very pretentious and self-indulgent, you know, in the way that they do things. This didn't... This didn't feel like that. This just felt like it was arty, wanky, hipsterish shit. It was. It was awful. There was nothing. It, it didn't really pull me in at the start. I was really trying to get engaged with it and really wanting to like it because you know I'm rooting for the distribution model and stuff. But it just it never once managed to get me even close to liking it or wanting to spend any time or money watching it. It was just crap. I'm sure. Steve feels the same, to be fair. Well, I hope I hope Ben Wheatley's listening, because I want him to know that I turned over and put old school on. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and liked it much more than his... I do like old his, school, to be His fair. self-indulgent black-and-white nonsense. <laughs> oh, Ouch, yes. And, and that, you know, that there speaks one of the country's premier film critics there, so, you know, that that's harsh criticism. Why is it in black and white? What does that add? In you know, in all in all honesty, what does having it in black and white add to it? Well, well from a technical point, I was going to say from a technical point of view, it's it's easy because um, Joss Whedon did the same thing for Much Ado About Nothing. It's actually um, it means you can make it a lot cheaper yeah. uh, in terms of you don't have to worry about colour and set design and things like that. It means you've got one less thing to worry about making look good on screen so you can focus on a number of other things. Again, I don't know if that's why Ben Wheatley did do it, but it will have been a consideration considering it's very small budget. Yeah, well, Clerks famously was the mm. film that was yeah. shot in black and white just because it, it was a lot cheaper for them to get black and white film, <laughs> you know, yeah. to shoot it all in black and white. Yeah. This, I think there's got to be a little bit more of um, some artistic license with it, because mm. it kind of does reflect what's happening with the characters, doesn't it? If you drain mm. all the colour out of it and you're just looking at these black and white people who are in a world that's not mm. really black and white, you know, yeah. with what's going on... Um, I think it's one of these, it's just, it's a, maybe I'm just turning into one of these pretentious wanker hipsters that Jerry's on about, but I think it's to do with reading between the lines, you know, if it's mm. in black and white, it's not black and white print, you, you, you're looking yeah. for more than what's being shown. Mm. That's, no, that's yeah, kind of no, what no, I picked I'd, up on. What I will say, Jerry kind of picked up on it a little bit, um, firstly, I, I'm, I'm an admirer of Ben Wheatley 
um, as a director. Just uh, you know, I didn't get on with this film, but uh, by all accounts, he's a very easy to work with director. And in a in a world where films are pushing two hundred million dollar budgets and still turning out to be a bit shite. Uh, this is a man who brings his budget. Apparently, he always brings his films in under budget or at least on budget and in time. Yeah, you know, this was made in fourteen days. On this one. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Down Terrace? Have you seen his film Down Terrace? Yes, but I, it was quite late at night, and I want to go back and watch it again. Because uh, uh, well, did you watch it for about fifteen grand or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, that was that's a right. stupidly small amount of money. But the way that they made. Dan Terrace, apparently, from his little interview mm. clip on Film 4, he says that they, they basically thought about what restrictions they have for making a film and then made a film to those limits, you know, rather than thinking about what film they want to make and then trying to find yeah. sources for funding for it. So I think it's a, I think it's a little bit similar with the field in England. Like they've thought about what restrictions they've got. So they thought about the... Um, again, from his interview that was on Film 4, they thought about how much it's going to cost to get all the costumes if they make it any bigger. And so they mm. thought if they just have the four of them, well, that's cheaper because they've only oh. got four costumes. If they yeah. set it all, they wanted to make it a bit, you know, on a, a grander scale as well. And actually, if they set it in a field, they made that the focus mm. point of the film, that it's all taking place in one field, that again makes it a bit cheaper. So, yeah. you know, I, I suppose it does go back a little bit to the um, the point about it being in black and white. You know, maybe mm. that was one of the factors as well for shooting it in black and white. So he's a he's a very pragmatic director yeah. and a a friend of mine knows a makeup artist who works in British film and she worked on Sightseers. Oh. I don't know if she worked on this, but she said he's pretty much right there. There's the shot. Move on. He's not one of these that takes out. You know, he's, he's very much getting, get the job done, get out kind of thing. And what I will say is um, film four have already released a lot of the figures around the film. And it looks like the film's gone into profit in its first weekend, essentially. Oh, good. Uh, because um, they I think it made about twelve hundred quid a screen, didn't it? Think, yeah, it not... made about it made about mm. twenty five thousand pound in cinema takings um, in about sixteen to nineteen screens, I think it was. Um, but it sold twenty five thousand copies in its opening weekend, mostly on Blu-ray. Apparently, huge sales on Blu-ray, which. Um, by my maths, those two combined take it up to at least um, 375 grand, possibly pushing 400 grand in its opening weekend. Uh, and there will have been some marketing and things like that. But basically, he's gone out, made a really experimental black and white film, which has massively divided people and still made a profit on it. And mm. I can't help but admire that. And I do like the fact that, do you know what, we might be entering a new era of the way films are distributed. We've already seen um, the Curzon Cinema Group, for example, uh, quite often films that they are showing in their cinemas, which they've only got about four in London, but if you don't live in London and therefore don't live near a cinema which is showing a lot of these independent films, you can screen it for the price of a cinema ticket through your laptop. Okay, It's not the same as being at a cinema, but we're getting to a stage actually now where independent cinema is able to get an audience that up until recently, it's been quite difficult to get. And, yeah, Owen's told us his struggles of trying to see some films in some of his local cinemas. I'm quite lucky with one of my local cinemas. I get to see pretty much everything. But some places in this country, it's quite difficult to see these low-budget independent films which wouldn't necessarily have a cinema audience but would be able to find an audience with this new technology. What, What have the kind of initial DVD sales been like for this? 
Uh, yeah, uh, it was about tw- they sold about twenty five thousand copies um, over the the opening weekend because it unusually for DVDs it was released on a Friday, um, and I think some supermarkets joined in on the Monday and the Tuesday, but uh, HMV and a number of specialist shops opened on the Friday, and um, I was looking on Twitter, and a number of these HMV stores and independent stores have got their own Twitter accounts, each kind of, and that was what was outselling everything else on the day that it came out. Which is pretty impressive considering it was on TV at the same time. It was on TV that night, yeah. That's what I thought a lot of people would think, well, it's on telly tonight, so I won't bother. Mm. You know, if I have Sky Plus or whatever, I can record it, and then... I think if it's any good, I, can I think it proves that Ben Wheatley has a fan base out there yeah. that wants that wants it in good quality because apparently or, again or the Blu-rays would. <laughs> um, but also the extras as well, and there was a lot of extras on the Blu-rays. So I think this model, if will work if you are a director with a, a ready-made fan base out there. And a lot of hype about it, you know, they can build up yeah. the same amount of hype, which will be it difficult did help with follow-ups. That, it did help that you've got a major UK channel basically backing it and giving it free advertising. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think you know, regard, you know, regardless of what we thought of the film, I think the, the venture itself was a successful one and uh, hopefully we'll see more like that in the future. Also, if any, anybody listening is one of those people who's like, oh, you just didn't get it, you know, you just, it's brilliant, it's art, you, you just, you're just too simple to understand that. Don't, don't fucking tweet me about it. <laughs> that winds me up. That really winds me up. There's a lot of that sort of chat going on at the minute about um, sort of the opposite way around to that. About Pacific Rim. I saw a load of it the other day on oh, Twitter. Yeah. It was really doing my head in. People moaning that you know because it's got big you know monsters and robots fighting in it that it's just but it's bound to be shy. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, what? I, I'm sick of having that argument as well. Um, if it's got CGI in, it must be terrible. Yeah. But I know Jerry's right as well. Do you know what? Sometimes people just don't get on with the film. You know, deal with it. Owen's been very, very, very magnanimous here. I think we've had a good discussion. I think we've all spoken about, and and, and you know, just to stick my credentials on the flagpole again. I fucking loved Holy Motors last year, and that was probably weirder than a field in England. That was so. a lot weirder. I, yeah. I prefer a field in England. I think. I think the field in England, it's a li- little bit more structured, which I liked. I preferred yeah. that to just being completely out there like Holy Motors was. Yeah. Although there were bits of Holy Motors that were genuinely just brilliant. Yeah. And there were bits of that, there were, there were some shots in this I genuinely loved. It just didn't pull together as a whole for me. Yeah, but yeah that's the I'll, thing. I'll, I'll definitely there's, be watching his next film. There's weird, what, there's weird films and things that, you know, that are strange and they work, but fundamentally this just didn't work for me. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. It's not anything to do with the the style of film per se. Just, I just think it was poorly made. Interesting. Yeah. I, have you seen... Um, you, did you say you haven't seen Kill List, James? I've not seen Kill List yet, but I want to watch it because I know that's one that drastically changes in tone about halfway through. Again, it, that's, it, it's nothing... That's all I know. <laughs> it, it's nothing like a field in England or Sight. Yeah. Series. It is more similar-ish to Dan Terrace because it's sort of a family and a crime sort of thing. Story. And is there a Wicker Man element to it? That's, I've heard Wicker Man bandied around. It is, yeah. It's a bit like Down Terrace meets Wicker Man. So it's, okay, yeah, cool. It's re- really I'll interesting. Give it a go. Really good. I'll give yeah. it a go. I think that concludes our discussion on a field in England. I think so. Yes. Uh, <laughs> up next is our what we've been watching TV special. Uh, what we've been watching uh, TV special. Um, so, 
Owen, do you want to start us off by recommending something on telly that you have been watching, or a TV program that you might have been watching on Netflix, something like that? Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll very quickly just mention, because I, I do think it's worth watching, because it's so different to everything else that's on TV at the moment, um, is Hannibal, which is being shown on Sky uh, Living at the minute. Mm. Really interesting, very dark, very violent drama series, which is obviously based on the uh, Red Dragon novel, starring uh, Will Graham, who's an English actor from Stoke, apparently. That's what I've gathered from his... Uh, Wikipedia page, don't really know much else about him. And it stars Mads Mikkelsen, who is probably more famous as being from last year's film, The Hunt, uh, Norwegian film. Very, very dark film. I watched that today. And I've Danish. Only just Danish, the Danish, sorry, Danish, sorry, Danish. Yeah, yeah. And Danish, I've only yeah. kind of just recovered from it. So, um, yeah, but yeah. it's really good. Lawrence Fishburne is in it as well. And he's, he's fantastic. Um, yeah, honestly... Really good film. It starts very slow. Uh, very really good series. Sorry, it, it starts a bit slowly. Gets a bit more momentum towards it. It's up to about episode nine now, I think. But um, it might be on um, the Sky version of Capture. You know, Sky on Demand. So, have, yeah, very good. I recommend that. But what I really wanted to talk about because we never really had a chance to discuss it before um, no. is Arrested Development series four, which was uh. aired. Uh, if you can call it aired, it was shown on Netflix. Um, it's uh, an interesting model to sort of base a TV series on. Basically, the, if you don't know about Arrested Development, I don't know what you've been doing with yourself, but it got cancelled around 2006, I think it was, beginning of 2006. Yeah. Um, really, it was kind of cut short. They, would, they had a lot of problems with Fox, who kept sort of reducing the number of episodes they were allowed to show in the series. And uh, basically... It was an expensive show to make. It was as well, a very expensive it? Yeah. show to make. So there were lots of different reasons Fox gave for cancelling it. I don't think it was picking up much um, in the way of ratings when it was first being shown on TV. So, you know, a lot of people as well kind of like to say that it, it was a bit too clever for uh, a sort of standard yeah. sitcom audience, I guess. But, you know, the, it, it became very popular. Um, it grew into a sort of cult comedy, then grew even bigger than just being a cult comedy as lots more people watched it. And they managed to, after a lot of pressure from fans, to get a deal with Netflix to bring it back as a TV series. And it was interesting that the way that it was it was released uh, was so much different to how pretty much every other TV series has been released. They put it all out at the same time on Netflix. So you could watch as many episodes as you wanted in one go. Um, you know, you could just watch one a week if you really wanted to. But the way it, it was sort of designed to be watched was it, it, each episode, I think there was 15 episodes in the fourth series, and each kind of focused on a different member of the um, the family, the Bluth family. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a different different format to what's been seen before. And I thought, I, I know that some people haven't really gotten on with series four, Personally, I, I thought it was brilliant. It, 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 again, like the um, Hannibal that I just recommended, but I said start slowly. This this does start a little slowly, especially if you were more used to how the format worked previously, which was more of a standard um, sitcom format where it followed, you know, all the family interacting with each other at the same time. It did use a lot of like callbacks to earlier things. In fact, it probably uses them more than any other TV series you're ever likely to see. Um, where it just builds and builds and builds, and there's so much more you can get from re-watching it, which yeah. is partly why I think it works quite well at being released all at the same time on Netflix. If you can watch as many of them as you can manage in one sitting, 
Um, it's it, after you've been through them all, it is well worth then just going back and watching a few of them again, just, just to pick up on some of the jokes that you will have missed because the writing, um, just unbelievable. Mitchell Hurwitz, Hurwitz, right? Sorry, he's mm. he. I don't. He's one of the. He's got to be one of the most intelligent writers around at the moment because the, the, there is nothing like Arrested Development out there. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, yeah, you're right. The the original format for the first three series actually kind of, if you think about The Simpsons, it's it's pretty similar format yeah. to that. It's about a family, and they all go off on their little adventures, and they all kind of overlap and cross over, and you've got a number of really interesting um, kind of minor characters, but that kind of thing. It very very clever. It was to me, it's as good as early, ep- uh, you know, good mm. early episodes of The Simpsons. One of my favourite sitcoms. But you're right, there was a very different focus for series four and it did split a number of people and i'll be honest there were one or two episodes in my first run through that i wasn't hugely taken with and it kind of made you realize that by focusing on one member of that family maybe ah that member actually that character wasn't isn't as funny on their own um i thought there were a couple of episodes like that mainly actually um uh, george bluth senior the the patriarch of the family who weirdly in the original series i loved as a character but you didn't get too much of him at a time um, but what I will say, yeah, just the way it was layered, and all fifteen episodes had bits from each other's episodes, and they got layered on top, and you yeah. saw the same thing from about three or four different viewpoints, and then all of a sudden that made sense. It was just the most incredible achievement in television. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, you say you Very slip funny. of the tongue there because you said uh, most amazing achievement in television. Of course, it, yeah. it's not been on television yet. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know. It, yeah, it, it ripped up a lot of the television rule books. One of the big things was uh, the freedom they had to just set their own runtime. Um, which again in some areas I think worked and in some areas it gave them a little bit too much freedom I think there's a few episodes which could definitely have done with a little trimming Um, but at the same time what that meant is rather than a standard 22 minute block and even if you've got a load of great ideas well you're going to have to cut them you have to get rid of them you've only got 22 minutes to get in actually fuck it if we want 35 minutes to tell this particular bit of the story we've got 35 minutes to tell it instead so it does give the creators are a hell of a lot of freedom. Yeah, it does. And uh, I think mostly um, they managed to do it well. You know, the, the, the freedom mm. they were given, they managed to work uh, into something yeah. quite productive. So instead of, you know, that you might expect there to be a lot of sort of fluff in this series or bits that could be edited. I would say it's only marginal. There's only bits, yeah. uh, only, the, you know, the odd bit through the, the series and you think, unusually for Arrested Development, it's not really yeah. adding something. Which, actually, part of Arrested Development's strength is when you think something's not adding something, it might actually literally be your fault for not understanding yeah. what that's related to. Yeah, yeah no, um, that's true. So it does take a couple of rewatches, But, yeah, it, it's, if you've not seen Arrested Development before, it, I think the whole of the four series are on um, yeah. Netflix at the moment. They're, they've been on Netflix for ages, and they'll be there forever. Just get a, just if you've not seen it and you've not got Netflix, just get the free month yeah. and give net. It, that's the one thing I'd say. If if you're going to get Netflix, watch that. Just just go and yes. try it. Um, have, because have Netflix not been doing quite a bit of this recently, making their own. They did hosting a lot of people. Yeah, it's, cards they did, didn't they? And they've done. An, the, um, they did House of Cards. They did an Eli Roth Twin Peaks rip-off as well, which I don't know the name of. Um, 
Okay, but it looks exactly like Eli uh, Ross doing uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Is it like um, Hemlock Grove or something? Hemlock Grove, I think, yeah. And I think what's happened there is basically a lot of content providers have started playing silly buggers with Netflix because content providers want to do what Netflix do. And so they're looking about, well, how can we provide the same service that Netflix does? So all of a sudden, they're whacking up the prices of their content for Netflix to buy for their service. So Netflix have gone, well, sod it then, we'll make our own programs. Well, um, yeah, HBO in America, they've got all their own on-demand service, haven't they? They don't let exactly. anything go across to, to Netflix. So. No, no, so that's why you'll never find The Sopranos yeah, or exactly, you know, yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm stuff on Netflix. But um, Netflix has gone, right, we'll, make, we'll do our own stuff. And now Love Film have started doing that as well. And that seems to be... Amazon have as well, haven't they? But I that's think... it, yeah, well, sorry, yeah, Amazon um, Love Film, yeah. 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 Um, they've got that, they've, well, they've bought the um, American show Vikings, haven't they, to yes. the UK. So that's not going to show on traditional television. That's going to show um, online and streaming. And I do think, again, but, going back to our Field in England discussion... We are decentralising kind of how television works. Yes. People aren't watching it at the same time every week. People are binging. People are watching bits of this, maybe not liking it, moving on to something else. It's TV scheduling is going to change massively over the next few years, and there won't be that kind of shared experience. So I think when there are things like, say, for example, at the weekend when a huge amount of the nation watched Andy Murray win Wimbledon, mm-hmm. for example. That was an incredible shared experience. But I think sports events and live events are going to be pretty much, in the next few years, they're going to be the only types of things we have these shared experiences with. And it will be about things that you discover. Um, but that's quite nice because you might then see a program that you fall in love with 10 years after it's been cancelled and then you've got it all there for you to watch and you don't have to like set your recorder at daytime like when I tried to get back into Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I had to set a 4 o'clock recording on sci-fi once a day or something it's like do you know what it's there I can just watch it when I want that's fantastic but you, I think social media the, the development of social media particularly things like Twitter and you know hash, mm. and, and hashtags which have now been introduced mm. to Facebook as well for, for pages and stuff you know that's that's helping to to bring together people watching things at the same time. You know, you're talking about sporting events. Uh, that's, no, that's but, true. You know, that. I think it does happen with TV series. I mean, for example, Luther earlier today, I wasn't watching yeah. it, I was recording it, which means I've kind of got to avoid looking at Twitter and Facebook yeah, until I've seen cause it. because people will talk about yeah. it. No, no, that is that is very true. And I saw people tweeting their way through a field in England, which, to be yeah. honest, annoyed me. Cause well, you've got to watch it, exactly. Time, yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, and I... Uh, but I you know, The Apprentice as well. Yeah. I always see people tweeting about The Apprentice. Stop watching that years ago. But I do. Th- I again, live television is is the dominant force there. But no, you're right. That is one way that some people are still watching TV shows together. But I do think it's their um, schedulers are losing their control over when we watch things. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but think that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jerry. We've hardly heard from you in this part. So why don't you recommend us something to watch on the telly? Alright, um, this is nothing new, but it's being repeated soon, which is why I'm talking about it. It's Sherlock, the BBC series. Um, it should have started last Friday, but Andy Murray took his bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> and Novak Djokovic, Del Potro took, took their time before that. So um, there was a lot of complaints about the fact that they, the BBC showed Andy Murray's match in its entirety rather than showing Sherlock as scheduled because Series 3 is due to come out soon-ish. 
thing. Well, I, can, I, can, I can understand people's annoyance if it wasn't a repeat. If it was like meant to be brand new and then the, the tennis is going on. Like, I can understand people complaining then. But it's a repeat and it's like the Wimbledon semi-final, so just kind of deal with it. Stop yeah, but people were annoyed because there was supposed to be something added in, which was a clue. To oh, so it's been added in. Ah, yeah. so if I went onto Netflix, for example, I wouldn't be able to see. Oh, okay. I presume right. so. Apparently, there's something in it. It's in the credits or a something. A clue right? within the first twenty minutes or so. God. There's a clue to what one of the new episodes is going to be called or something like that. <laughs> so the tenuous marketing, I've got. <laughs> because they're all based on um, original yeah. Conan Doyle stories. Yeah, I think that would be you know people are wondering which ones are they going to do, and and the, the the best thing about Sherlock for those who haven't seen it, I'm, sh- I'm sure a lot of people have. Um, for those who haven't seen it, it's got Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman as um, Holmes and Watson, and the best thing I can say about it is I I absolutely love the Sherlock Holmes stories. The original books are brilliant. You can pick them up on a Kindle for about fifty p for the entire lot of them. Not even kidding. I've got them, yeah. Like the entire, every single Sherlock story is about 50p. You can get most of them for free, but you may as well just drop like 50p and just get every single possible story you can. They are brilliant. And this series is so caring about the original books. Well, stories. They're not full books, but uh, Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat. There's so much respect and dedication for the original stories and they take them in wonderful sort of quirky little updated directions so that you can recognize you know a lot of what's going on if you're familiar with stories but they do enough original things with it to make it really entertaining even if you know what it's based on if that makes sense yeah and and the the updates are really really good as well you know the little tiny nods which i won't give any of them away but, you know, there's little tiny nods where they've updated it to the 21st century and it, it all worked really well, which I think was my main concern about it before I watched it. I didn't watch it, uh, the first series when that was on TV, mm. because I thought, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to watch some crappy modern update. I don't tend to like modern updates of old things, you know, like Romeo and Juliet in the modern day. Just Have you watched Elementary out of interest? I haven't, no. I hear actually it's not as bad as you'd think it will be. Because I've not seen I've it. I've seen either, it. But... I've seen it. I really like Elementary. Johnny Lee Miller okay. is brilliant. It's really good. And actually, okay. Lucy Liu works really well as Watson as well. I, I, I think I, I've heard people speak all right of it, so I think I might watch it at some point. But yeah, yeah. I, I was just interested, Jerry, because you were talking about you were worried about Sherlock when it well, first came out, and it sounds like Elementary was the thing you were worried about. But <laughs> well, when it came out, it was with. Um, the Robert Downey Jr. film, wasn't it? They, they were at the same. Oh yeah, that's that's a bit poor. Well, that's yeah, diff- a bit different. <laughs> it's a bit steampunk, which is weird. Yeah, that's uh, completely a different interpre- interpretation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and he's an awesome kick-ass fighter and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy. <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. I, I quite enjoy the, the sort of the Guy Ritchie version of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. But in a way of, I enjoy it because it's not the Sherlock Holmes of the books, but it's an interesting mm, yeah. universe. Whereas this is much closer to the the world of the books, but it's set now and it's really really yeah. cleverly done. I mean, the acting is top notch, particularly from you know the two main ones. Yeah, um, and I think Martin Freeman deserves because obviously Cumberbatch has completely blown up recently and he's in everything. 
Um, and rightfully so, he's a great actor. But I, re- I think Martin Freeman's the heart of Sherlock, and I, I love his performance in Sherlock. He is, Sherlock, and their, their relationship is, is fantastic. What was that? Sorry, Steve. So Sherlock's kind of got his career back on track because obviously he done The Office, <coughs> and then he did the Hitchhiker's Guide movie, which didn't really yeah. go very well for him. Then he was in some awful sitcom on ITV. Oh yeah, <laughs> forgot about, that. about a hardware with, shop. With, yeah, with, yeah, with someone who used to be in Corrie a long time ago. Yeah, and I thought he's kind of blown it now. Mm. And then he's come back, done Sherlock, done The Hobbit, and been fantastic in both. Yeah, although weirdly, um, Peter Jackson had cast him in The Hobbit before Sherlock, and they had to put off the filming of The Hobbit. So that he could finish because of his Sherlock commitments. Um, mm, so he, they, had, in... they only had to put off the second series. Oh, was it the second series? Oh, okay. So I think they. I don't know when they were cast, but um, they delayed the second series because uh, both Cumberbatch and Freeman were working on the Hobbit, and obviously the Hobbit ended up yeah. running later as well, didn't it? So. Yeah, but but I, I do know at one point they actually, um, Peter Jackson said he he postponed starting the filming of the Hobbit so he could wait for. Freeman as well, so I think that uh, I, th- I think I've heard him talk about Hitchhiker's Guide, so I think he he got him from that because that kind of Arthur Dent character is is quite similar to Bilbo Baggins actually, and you know traveling a strange person taken completely out of his comfort zone and traveling bizarre and fantastical places. So I can see why I cast him. Anyway, sorry. No, I mean there's not much to it. It's, it's really well shot. It's really well made. Um, the, the acting is, is really good. Andrew Scott as uh, Moriarty as well is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, he got yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't happy when he first appeared on screen, but actually he does that brilliantly. Yeah, it's a real... I mean, it's a, it's a slightly different take of Moriarty, but the, the core of it is the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The Moriarty of the books is, is not Andrew Scott, but he is so brilliant that he is a wonderful Moriarty anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he quite rightly won Best Supporting Actor at the BAFTAs last year uh, mm. for his performance. And he's superb. So really looking forward to the new series. Um, but it's 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 back on TV if you missed the if you missed the second series anyway. Um, yeah. It's all on Netflix. Yeah. I think we ended up when we got Netflix, we just watched all of Sherlock again because it was on there like over a weekend. There's only there's only three or four episodes a series, so. It's not a great investment of time, but it's absolutely worth it. But each of them is is kind of like a mini film as well, which is why it takes so long to do a series. Yeah. Um, and and there's real dedication goes into this this series, and it, and it comes through, and I think that's what makes it so brilliant. Okay. Um, well, for my recommendation, for my what I've been watching, uh, I'm going to go back a bit because I've started watching The Wire recently. I'm only six episodes in. It's good, it's not got to the, the great point yet, but there's not much point in me reviewing it because I haven't seen much, and um, everyone knows how highly rated it is anyway. Um, I've still not seen it. And and then the the other TV programs I've, I've watched recently have been Cheers, followed on by Frasier, sort of back-to-back. Um, both fantastic. If you have it, Some people probably think, oh, Fra- uh, Cheers is a bit before my time, so I'm not going to watch it, and Frasier's for clever people or like smart, really, really smart people, so I'm not going to watch it. Well, you're wrong on both of them. They're probably two of the best sitcoms ever made. Cheers definitely is. 
Uh, so go and watch those. But uh, what I will review is something I watched a little while ago. It's only there's two series, one proper series and one of about six episodes, and it's Jericho. Um, I'm guessing that I've heard of it, Steve, but I've no idea what I it is. I tried to watch it. I gave up after like one episode, I think. Uh, it, it's set in America, um, not really end of the world kind of stuff, the sort of kind of downfall of civilization. Basically, um, a second civil war starts in America. Um, I can't remember the exact details of how, but there's nuclear bombs go off all around the all around the country. Um, you know, communications go down, supplies go down. It's about a town called Jericho that try to survive. You know what's going on. Quite, I suppose. Well, I suppose you can't tell if it's realistic. You know, dealing with the issue of supplies and health and right, other towns trying to pinch of resources and going to war with them with the over with an arc over the whole series of um, like you know this this um, second civil war in America. And the, the first series is quite good. Um, Lenny James is probably the biggest name in it, and, and he's pretty good in there as kind of a very secretive character who, who's kind of doesn't hide away but hides his past hides his person away from, from everyone else uh, the second it got cancelled after one series and then the fans petitioned because uh, it ended on a cliffhanger but it was still it was still cancelled the fans the show petitioned to get it back on air and got a six episodes second season which just does get a bit silly really to reach the conclusion but the first season it is pretty good, pretty entertaining, um, worth watching. It's only one season as well, so it's not going to be a big commitment at the time. Uh, it's on Netflix. I just googled it, by the way, Steve. I remembered why I, why it was familiar. They got it when it was cancelled. Um, they everyone sent nuts to the production company, didn't they? Because there was Did some they? there was some reference to nuts on the cliffhanger. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I remember that they they were. Um, I think they were referencing another quote from an American military general when he just sent kind of. I think it was when they sent um, the German troops in World War Two asked the Americans to surrender, and the Americans sent back just one word answer saying nuts. I yeah, think they were referencing sent, that. Um, yeah, in the three weeks, there were eight million nuts sent uh, totaling up four pounds. <laughs> wow! Oh yeah, people power. People power yeah. indeed. Yeah, sometimes they can bring back Netflix or the to- uh, Arrested Development on Netflix and then yep. other times just dead nuts to TV producers. Why not? Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and James, what are you going to end up this part of the podcast with? Okay, well, um, I've just rewatched, just finished, um, so the second time I've watched it, the first series of the American HBO series The Newsroom. Uh, and I've rewatched it because it's starting again on American TV on Sunday, so the type of people who know where to get their American TV from, those kind of places, but it's on Sky Atlantic in about six weeks, I think, or something like that. It usually follows about six weeks to two months behind on Sky Atlantic. It's the latest uh, television show from Aaron Sorkin, who created and wrote, most famously of all, The West Wing, Um, also did Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and has written screenplays for Charlie Wilson's War, Social Network, Moneyball, things like that. Uh, and this series is behind-the-scenes events at a fictional cable news channel um, called ACN. It's got uh, a, not a huge star cast, but it has got Jeff Daniels as the news anchor Will McAvoy, 
who, together with his new staff, basically right at the beginning, he has a breakdown um, at an event. And it's a little bit like, um, oh, oh, goodness me, my mind's gone. That film, American film about a news anchor who has a breakdown. <laughs> um, Sydney Lumet. Uh, uh, the network. I'm mad as hell. Uh, yeah. Net, something network. I can't believe my mind's gone. The like network that. is the one with the, the TV people. Network. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So um, basically, he's at, uh, he's doing a Q and A at a university, and a student asks him why is America the best country in the world. And he has a bit of a breakdown, has a go of it, and says, "Do you know what? America isn't the best country in the world, but it can be." Uh, and it gets him a bit of notoriety. Um, and the whole thing is set up over um, a kind of year as they start to rebuild news. Um, it's also got Emily Mortimer as Mackenzie McHale, his producer. It's got Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire as uh, Neil Sampat, who's one of the, the researchers on the show. And it's got Alison Pill as one of the love interests, Maggie, um, who I didn't only just realise the other day was the drummer in Scott Pilgrim. I sat down to watch Scott Pilgrim on Saturday night, and was like, oh my god, that's Maggie from the newsroom. Uh, so that threw me slightly. Um, it also features Jane Fonda in her first television uh, performance in like 30 years or something. And Terry Crews is in it uh, as a recurring character, uh, as Will McAvoy's bodyguard, because he starts getting death threats at some point. Well, I will say, a few points about it. Um, much like The West Wing and Studio on uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, what, what the, the newsroom represents, um, it represents the real world. Uh, and responding to realistic events. But its central characters and its heroes are striving for idealism in a world where, as Aaron Sorkin has said numerous times, we've come to expect less and less of each other. Um, so it's a very idealistic programme. Uh, and if that, that's your bag, you'll, you'll love it. And I love watching it. It's got a very interesting concept. Um, each season is set approximately 18 months in the past. Uh, and it uses real-life events to shape its narrative. So in season one, it's how the newsroom responds to the Arab Spring, how it responds to Osama bin Laden's assassination, how it responds to phone hacking and things like that. And what it essentially does is say, do you know what, if there was this brilliant idealistic news programme that sometimes gets it wrong but tries to get it right, this is how the news would be done. Um, and so it's received a lot of flack, actually, when it, when it premiered, received a lot of flack. And there was a number of media organisations kind of distracting the audience, uh, tried to paint Sorkin as unoriginal, as sexist. And I personally, I got the impression that they didn't like being told that they should do their job better. Uh, and so it did get a bit of a media blowback. But I, think, I, I personally think that the big reason was because it was saying to TV news especially, but also print media, actually, you need to do better because this is how the news should be done. does feel at times as though Sorkin is paying homage to his own work. So we've already had, um, at the beginning of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, there was a network-esque moment where someone basically went mad and some new people came in to do the TV show better. There's a lot of walk and talks, uh, which basically he invented for the West Wing. There's his typical machine gun dialogue, which, um, if you like it, it's absolutely fantastic. It's very funny as well. It's a very, very funny show. Um, In my opinion, it's the only mainstream media product in the US, apart from maybe The Daily Show, which holds up a mirror to the US media and says, we can do this better. And from that point of view alone, it's just great television. It's only 10 episodes. um, And 
one ten minute section towards the end of I think it was episode four was just my favourite piece of television of all of last year. And bizarrely, it was using the soundtrack of Coldplay's Fix You. And it was just the most incredible, exhilarating and emotional piece. To, using a Coldplay song. That's how good it is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Newsroom. It's available on DVD, I think, or, you know, kind of usual places uh, if you want to catch up on season one. But season two is out very, very soon. I'll be honest, I thought it got cancelled. Um, uh, no, no, it got picked up for a second series because HBO, do, it w- probably would have got cancelled if it had been on a standard network mm. but hbo tend to give programs a bit longer to to bed in yeah you know and good for them yeah yeah definitely yeah. are we going to quickly mention as well before we move on luther the new series which has started let's just tell everyone to watch luther yeah no i've, I've been watching the la- i've watched the last few series of luther and it, it's showing on bbc at the moment and i'm probably going to watch it after yeah. we've recorded this and not be able to sleep <laughs> for about five hours it's Considering it's on at nine o'clock at night, it is the most terrifying BBC television program I've ever seen. I know it's. I can't believe I've just caught up on the season two, series two. Yeah. Uh, I watched series one ages ago, but I never never got around to series two, even though I bought it on DVD. So I've been really trying to cram it in before um, watching series three, and I ended up watching the first episode of series three today. Brilliant. It's just like you say. It's just so different to every other British drama. Yeah, uh, and Idris Elba gets to go around throwing over desks, being all <laughs> angry, and being a David Bowie fan. Oh, it's yeah, <laughs> perfect television character in my opinion. It's great. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's nice. To, it's always good to see Idris Elba on the screens, and we'll be seeing him next week when we review Pacific Rim. Look at that link. Look at the way I did that. I'm such a fucking pro. Seamless. <laughs> and then I pointed it out as well, just <laughs> just to prove how much of a pro I am. There we are. Uh, yeah, so. After a quick break, we will have uh, our triple bill of TV shows we'd like to see made into movies. Welcome back then to the triple bill this week, which is, to give it its full title, uh, uh, films we'd like to see made from TV shows from our past, or from our childhood. Uh, Inspired by the decision, for some reason in Hollywood to make Captain Planet into a feature film despite the fact it will be aimed at kids who have not seen Captain Planet yeah <coughs> um, it's a bizarre decision you know you're going to go and see it though I'll go and see it if they cast Don Cheadle as Captain Planet <laughs> okay have you seen that clip online <laughs> no I There's haven't a sketch where they made up Don Cheadle to look like Captain Planet just oh, google awesome. it I won't tell you what happens in okay. it but it's brilliant brilliant okay. brilliant yeah, sounds like a terrible idea. Someone's tapping away. Yeah, down. I could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that <was great. laughs> uh, so we have come up with some better ones, basically. Yeah. I don't think any of them will be worse. Trust me. No. Uh, James, you want to start us off with yours then, because TV show kids, well, TV shows from your childhood, they're probably going to be so far removed from anyone else's. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. But James has the advantage of knowing the entirety of TV history, so. <laughs> James, did you pick the Clangers as one of yours? I did, no, I didn't actually. No, I didn't pick uh, uh, Bill and Ben the Flowerpot Men either, uh, or Andy Pandy. No, 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 Wombles. Actually, Wombles was. I was aware of the Wombles, but I think they were a little bit before my time. Although, what I will say is, my first pick was actually produced in 1979. But it was uh, first shown on UK television in 1988. Uh, and in typical style, um, 
I'm going to pick the first thing that introduced me essentially to... This was my introduction to world cinema. Uh, I've mentioned this on Twitter before, I think, and our good friend and writer on the site, Matt Lamborn, recognised it. It's uh, called The uh, the Legend of Tim Tyler, or, or in German, in its original German, Tim Tyler, uh, and it's about a boy who lost his laugh. Um, it was a children's miniseries based on 1962 novel by a German writer, and basically it's about a 14-year-old. Um, he's got an irresistible laugh. His name's uh, Tim Tyler. He's got an irresistible laugh uh, and is very popular. But the mysterious Baron, uh, who is a grumpy and wealthy businessman, always wearing a black carnation, he tries to buy Tim's laugh. Uh, but Tim's father is a flight instructor and he says, no, no, don't sell your laugh. Uh, but then Tim's father dies in a plane crash, which may have been caused by the Baron. Uh, Tim needs to support his stepmother, so he basically sells his laugh to the stepmother. He can no longer laugh. Um, but there's some weird thing where he can now win any bet that he makes as well. It's a bit weird. But in the end, he decides he needs his laugh back, so he has to try and challenge the Baron to win his laugh back. Incredible television. I'm surprised none of you... Not, any glimpses of recognition there? No, it sounds full of plot holes, because, because surely he could make some <laughs> bet where he wins his laugh back and a load of well, money. Well, that that, I think that is eventually the, the way it goes. And, um, and can he still find stuff funny, he just can't laugh? Uh, that I can't remember. I haven't. Wa- it, this was nearly thirty years ago. <laughs> um, uh, but what I will say is, it it actually did make a re- really weird, scary impact on me as a as a child. Um, and I think it's I think it's a sto- it's an allegory for greed uh, potentially here. It's an allegory for childhood and the loss of innocence. And I do think. Um, a sensitive director could... A sensitive yet magical director could pick this up. So I reckon remake it as a film, but with uh, Terry Gilliam directing this. Uh, I think Terry Gilliam deserves a hit, and I think this is guaranteed, to be honest. I mean, you know, I've, I've just pitched it to you. Sure, yeah, you can't wait for this. And I'm torn uh, with my businessman. Uh, I don't know whether to go for just genuine creepiness and cast Werner Herzog. Uh, as the the businessman, the grumpy businessman who buys a laugh, or to go with a kind of younger look and maybe have Mads Mikkelsen as the uh, as the horrible. But I'm going for some kind of European miserable bastard kind of taking that. Um, I, I don't know, fourteen year, any old fourteen year old. No one's going to give a shit to be honest. Um, but uh, get, uh, get get Bieber and bums on seats, get the money in. That yeah. See, this is why we've got Steve here as kind of producer. <laughs> Um, so It'd yeah, be good uh, if he lost uh, his voice, wouldn't it? Yeah, with the joke there. Sorry, just dropped in the flow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I watched a bit. But all my choices that I watched a little bit of them on YouTube, and you can watch it. But they've only got the original German on YouTube, and I still watched about twenty minutes of it earlier. It's fascinating. So yeah, go go and look up the legend of Tim Tyler. Um, so that's my first choice, which is the one that no one will know. Um, my second choice, I, I've got a feeling my second choice might, because it's quite straightforward, I think there might be crossover. Um, if I say, thunder, thunder, thundercats, ho! Oh! Not on my list, didn't make it, I'm afraid. Didn't make it, oh. Do you know what, I forgot how damn, I've, I've watched an entire episode of Thundercats before we recorded this, and I forgot how much I liked it. It's great. Um, have you seen you What's that? When I worked in the toy shop, they they um they got the new Thundercats toys in, and I was not new Thundercats. Yeah, they've got like a oh. new series on on yeah. Channel Five. Oh, 
but the new merch when the new merch came in. I was yeah. not the only one who was tremendously excited by the uh, Thundercats. <laughs> There is an excellent sword that makes sound effects. If anybody's interested. Wow, amazing! Yeah. But yeah, the, I just I just needed to watch the original title sequence, and I just got so damn excited. You know, and the weird thing is, I'd completely forgotten about the entire set. I had no, I, I knew the characters, and I knew they fought Mumra or the Ever Living, uh, but I I couldn't remember any of the setup. And it, it's a fascinating setup. It, it you know about they leave uh, Thundera. Uh, and that I never realised, I never picked up on this, that Lion-O is actually a child in a man's body. Uh, did anyone else what? pick up on that? Is he? Yeah. Yeah, apparently, um, when they are flying to Third Earth, it's going to take longer. So they go into stasis, but something's wrong with the stasis. And so Lion-O, who is, a, who is the young lord of the Thundercats, um, doesn't grow mentally during the journey, but his body ages during the journey. What? Not. Yeah. What? I don't know. Oh, I'm man. <laughs> have you have you seen any of the the remake, the new cartoon series? No, I've not seen any of the new it's one. It's It is rubbish. It's rubbish. But yeah. part of that story is he's got a son who's growing up, and that means that when he would have conceived the son, he must yeah. have had the child's mind. Yeah. Was Chitara? Was she the mum? Was Chitara the mum? Uh, no, I don't think yeah. so. But they, they have got a daughter. She's got a daughter anyway. Who's okay. Um, so, yeah, and then they're chased by the mutants of Plundar with that weird frog fella um, who teams up with Mumra the Ever-Living, who, again, when I was reading Wikipedia, apparently Third Earth is actually Earth in the future and Mumra was some Egyptian god who did basically destroyed mankind. I didn't get any of this, the original. <laughs> There's a fucking shitload of subtext here. Um, so, yeah. Thundercats. My my idea for Thundercats is actually I think there's a use for James Cameron here, um, using not necessarily in 3D, but using Avatar-style technology. You could make you could use actors do a a a realistic-looking um, live-action Thundercats movie. So I and James Cameron knows knows explosions and action and stuff like that and you're giving him a ready-made story so he can't come up with it, some of his nonsense that he's come up with recently. So James Cameron just cast unknowns because they're going to be under makeup anyway. Um or if I do what I did last time we did one of these type triple bills then I'm giving uh Lionel to Ryan Gosling and um uh Tigra to Michael Fassbender and uh Panthro to Tom Hardy. There you go. That's my. That would be a really good casting, actually, though. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> Those three well. work in any yeah. casting situation. <laughs> um, so yeah, Thundercats was my second choice, and my final choice. This is one I'm actually quite proud of because um, I'm going to say first. I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, "Well, how does that work as a film?" Um, ITV's classic uh, children's kind of fantasy game show, Nightmare. <laughs> I, 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 now, please, I, 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 sometimes I forget some, how young some of the people I'm talking to are here. Um, Jerry and Steve, fans of Nightmare? Never heard of it. Fucking hell. It, it's there in the back of my mind. I can't uh, remember much about it. I remember I it, James, I know. Oh, oh, good. Well, we'll have a little chat about it. Ba- basically, Nightmare. Um, it was broadcast uh, from 1987 to 1994. Um, it was like... It, it was almost like a kind of cross between Dungeons and Dragons and the Crystal Maze. Um, and it was, it was actually... Oh, it was, really all, it was all green screened. Yeah, all green yeah. screened. Yeah. And you had a, a dungeoneer in, a, uh, you had a dungeoneer in there 
and he had a te- it was a kid basically aged between about 11 and 15 or something like that uh, and he had a helmet on so he couldn't see anything and he had a team of three people in the studio saying side step left side step small small side step left uh, large step forward Re- exciting you can just imagine how exciting this was um, and yeah it was all on green screen uh, with weird effects and kind of actors and stuff like that the, the reason it works so brilliantly um, for me is that is, is, is Treyguard who was the dungeon master who kind of guided these young souls through through the dungeons. Um, they could cast spells and they had to avoid um, they had to avoid getting killed and stuff like that. Mary Whitehouse actually hated this program because of the fact that young people essentially died on it. Um, stupid cow. Um, <laughs> but what what was brilliant about it? There were eight series of this. And only eight people ever essentially won the program out of about 20 episodes a season. And it was brilliant because it told young people, do you know what, life's hard. You're probably not going to fucking win Nightmare. You know, just get on with it. And I love that. I love that element of it. It was very, very difficult. Um, now, my idea for this is uh, I'm, I want to get Charlie Kaufman to write this. Um, and I want Edgar Wright to direct it. And my, my idea is, actually, what's happened here is we're going to set it at the time of Nightmare. We're going to set it. It's set in nine, late 1980s, early 1990s in ITV studios. And what's happening is Treyguard actually is someone who has been sent from another dimension. Um, and all these children who are going through this are re- actually going through uh, battling through uh, another dimension but the TV executives don't realise because they just think it's all virtual reality and uh, Treyguard starts to realise that this is a little bit Hunger Games this is cruel entertainment and he starts to try and break the spell and then Lord Fear comes in about series 5 played by Mark Strong in my in my version um, and you have the ultimate battle between good and evil I really want to see that but I, I cannot believe I'm, I'm I'm stumbling over my words here because I can't believe Jerry doesn't really know what Nightmare is. I can vaguely remember it. It was a bit before my time, to be honest. He had an elf that looked like Joe Hart who, um, <laughs> called Pickle who hung out with him. Oh, man, I'm just gutted. So this is now, this is when I... Re- You're going to talk about your programmes for your youth and I'm going to be thinking, yeah, I, I watched that when I was married. Or <laughs> but anyway, oh, that's no. my Manor choice. School, grumble, grumble. Right then, Jerry, you set yourself up, so what are you going for? Okay, I've got an old school here. First one. Uh, it's a classic. Mr. Ben. Nice, Mr. nice. Because I thought, you know, anybody who's not familiar with Mr. Ben, it's a bloke in a bowler hat and a suit who goes into a, a fancy dress shop and when he tries things on, he magically gets transported to an adventure appropriate to that costume. It would be really good fun as a film to have him, you know, Jumanji style, going in and out of magical worlds to do quests and things in all his different costumes and guises. I thought that'd be pretty cool. Okay. No, just no, I like that. Who, who's going to play um, Mr. Ben? Well, I thought it would need to be someone who was like really sort of upright in English. So I thought Benedict Cumberbatch is pretty ideal in terms of yeah, being an upright like Englishman. That. You know, I'd, I'd I'd go there. I'd I'd get I'd get old Benny in there. Yeah. And you just need you need someone who can do fantastical 
fantastical films, but with a degree of seriousness than someone British. And I couldn't think of anyone. Because I was hoping to be able to say that Ben Wheatley could do it, but fuck that. <laughs> that would be a very dark film. <laughs> so suggestions welcome for direction. I would say Spielberg, given what he did with Tintin. I thought Tintin was a good film. I think he could do a, a decent job with uh, Mr. Ben. I've still not seen Tintin. I've not, actually. Um, but I really like the three different people who wrote it. Um, so... Because Stephen Moffat was one of the co-writers, wasn't yeah. he? And um, Edgar Wright. I think Edgar Wright was involved. I don't, don't know. Oh no, no. Well, it was uh, no. It was Joe Cornish, wasn't it? Uh, Stephen Moffat, Joe Cornish, and someone else as well, who I really like. I'm going to look it up now. To be fair, getting Moffat to write it'd be good. I would quite like to see Edgar Wright helmet actually. Now that you think about it, he's too busy doing one of mine, Nightmare. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, no, I, yeah, I'm, see, I need to, Tintin, IMDb, this is, again, this is just classy, uh, we've done all our, it was, um, it was Edgar Wright, Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, and, uh, Joe Cornish. Hmm. That's, that's an impressive, but I think they kind of wrote three separate, I don't think they sat in a room together and wrote it, I think right. they kind of passed it amongst well, themselves. Well, Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish worked together, I think, they're doing that, man. Mm. So you know, yeah. maybe, don't know, they worked together on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Okay, nice, Mr. Be- no, I like that. That's good choice, good choice, Jerry. Second one is another classic, and another. This one's slightly cheating in a way, because this TV series was inspired by a film initially. It's Wacky Races. Mm. Do you know what? I, I what film was it inspired by? Then? Uh, it was, was c- it called The Great Race. Okay. So Did it I have just... Dick Dastardly in it? It was a Jack Lemmon film from the 60s. Okay, okay. Um, and it had, you know, a big pie fight and stuff, and Tony Curtis yeah. and Jack Lemmon. Uh, I think it was sort of, sort of set like late Victorians or something like that, you know, at the start oh, of the... Yeah. Anyway, the, that film is an yeah. important, but, you know, technically it's a bit mm. cheap. But I thought Wacky Races, with, with the advances yeah. of CGI, yeah. and with all the things that were done with Speed Racer, which Owen always loves... Mm-hmm. You could well, get a speed racer style wacky races going. You know, I like it. take all that visual style, get it involved. Get, get, get the Wachowskis to direct. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Now, this is where we got could get quite fun because I thought there's a lot of characters in here, so who comes to yeah. mind for your different characters? Oh, right. Dick Dastardly. It's got to be one of my first ones that I'm thinking of. Um, oh. Oh, I don't, mm. I don't know. Interesting. Um, oh. Uh, oh. Oh. Um, I'm for Penelope Pitstop. I'm going for uh, Emma Stone because I want to see her in more stuff, and I think I think she could do that quite nicely. Definitely. I'll tell you who I yeah. thought of. Who? Uh, the Red Max. Yeah. Christoph Waltz all the way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, that's, that's You'd a good choice. You'd be a great villain for that, wouldn't you? Oh, no, I like that. Yeah, you could have loads of fun with that, actually. They're so much fun. I mean, we won't take yeah. the entire podcast trying to think up a cast for it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that'd be quite good, and, you know, they like their big sort of tentpole CGI films. Yeah. People probably like Wacky Races in general, I would yeah. thought. Is it still on TV now? I don't know. It was, it's probably on a cartoon networky type. Thing. It was on when I was a kid, and it was first yeah. in the sixties. So you could have um, you could have Andy Circus do the uh, do Muttley. 
I bet Andy Serkis. <laughs> I was, was going to say. You yeah, most, really most yeah, Motley. Get Andy Serkis yeah. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other than that, that's, that's kind of where I'd got to yeah. with that one. And and Dick Dastardly, I quite like the idea of Michael Fassbender doing this crazy Dick Dastardly like accent. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And my final one, I thought I'm going a bit, I'm going a bit off piece here with these animated ones. I need something real. I went for Bernard's watch. <laughs> Brilliant. See now, Bernard's watch. It. I'm pretty sure. I was actually old enough to drink when Bernard's Watch was on. Initial run of Bernard's Watch, not the shitty one that they did later. Okay. Well, no what, when was the initial run then? The initial one was 97 to 2001. And then yes, I was old enough to drink. Did a reboot in 2004, which changed oh, things. Uh, it was the reboot Bernard's Watch. <laughs> it was weird. Um... So, for those who don't know what Bernard's Watch is, oh, Jerry... Who doesn't know what Bernard's Watch is? <laughs> Bernard's I'm Watch... It's got a magic fucking watch. <laughs> it, it stops time, doesn't it? Steve has literally just said it there. He's got a magic yeah. fucking watch. Excellent, okay. <laughs> There's the pitch. That's the tagline. Bernard, is, he's, he's always late, and then this magic postman gives him a magic watch, and he can stop time when he needs to. So... And the irony is that the postman's always late. <laughs> he, he can't use it to commit crimes, and he can't be use it for like personal gain or whatever, like for for making money, being greedy, whatever. Right. Uh, Moral bastard. Yeah, and he would like you know help people out with day to day things and stuff. The thing I always used to think about Bernard's watch when I was at the football, I used to think, God, if you had Bernard's watch, wouldn't it be great to just like move the ball? You know, when it's your own team, just stop it in a shot in mid fight and just move it so that it goes in the top corner instead of going wide. And if someone's taking a penalty against your team, just just shift it wide. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> You've spent a lot of yeah. time thinking about the practicalities of having a Bernard's watch. Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? If you watch this film and don't think, God, I wish I had a Bernard's watch. I mean, I, uh, anyway, what I would do is I would make it into quite a sort of cerebral sci-fi take on Bernard's watch. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> banging that in as a dark, uh, dark sci-fi interpretation. He's got a track record with uh, working with young actors, and making them do well. He's got a track record with CGI. Getting to go absolutely mental with Bernard's watch. Be some kind of interdimensional trip with Bernard, Bernard and his time stopping watch saving the world. Wow, that's pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting Can't that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to think laterally, guys. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting some kind of Adam Sandler slash Jim Carrey sort of <laughs> slapstick comedy. Uh, that's, that's ambition. Yeah, that's I, I admire the ambition. It's, it's a cool concept. I think someone like him could take it. He could take it a long way. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for Steve's now because Steve's been talking up his choices <laughs> all night. Oh, no. oh, Owen's going first and then, yeah. then we'll get on to mine. I think we better save the best till last, actually. Uh, go with, with Steve last. Um, my first one is, uh, which is something I've talked about on here very briefly before, but no one else seemed to know what it was, but thankfully other people on Twitter seem to be aware of it, is Dino Riders, which I think, was it Steve who came up with the concept a while ago about putting lasers on dinosaurs or something? And I sort of said, this, that, that exists, that's Dino Riders. So it was a cartoon yeah. from the uh, very late 80s, actually. I don't really remember all that much about it. 
But I thought it'd be quite a popular choice. Um, it's basically the, the basic plot of it, from what I remembered, was there were some uh, one army who were humans and one army who were like humanoid, weird lizard, snake creature men things. Uh, but basically, they both rode dinosaurs and they both fought each other with big lasers and shot at each other and had rockets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the toys, the toys were amazing. The toys were pretty cool as well. Yeah. Basically, it just needs to be a light, silly action film, sort of maybe similar vein to like GI Joe Retaliation. Um, you know, just something quite playful. I'd probably give the directing duties to um, Tommy Vercola, who um, is quite famous for doing Dead Snow, the, the Norwegian oh, yeah. zombie film. And he also did Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters from earlier in the year, which was actually a lot better than I was expecting that to be as well. It was quite sort of fun and, and silly as well. So I'd probably give him that. Um, yeah, he's quite good at getting that blend of action and humour. So to, to sort of counteract that, I suppose you've got to have some quite. Um, I'd give it to sort of the roles to new up and coming sort of action people. Maybe mm. someone like Scott Adkins, who did who's in Expendables two and um, he was in Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning. Joy Courtney as well from Die Hard five. Jack Re- Jack Reacher, you know. Um, yeah. Maybe someone as well like Jason Momoa, who was. Um, from the Conan remake and was uh, in Game of Thrones uh, and was in Bullet to the Head recently with, with um, Sliced Alone. Maybe have him as the bad guy though. I think I think he'd pull off quite a sort of viper, snaky, quite kind of evil human type creature quite well actually. And they'd both be pretty big. They'd both be, you know, all of them could just fight each other out on dinosaurs. What what's not to like really? As long as Michael Bay isn't involved anywhere. That's the yeah. that's, that's the crucial point that if he's involved then it's going to be shit but otherwise there's scope there to make something quite fun over the top and just kind of like an entertaining popcorn-y action film I think yeah yeah sounds better than Captain Planet anyway. <laughs> yeah um, my second choice I've, I've cheated a little bit as well I know we've all cheated just ever so slightly but mine's has been made into a live action film recently um, if you can improve on it, then well, that's I think anything can improve on it. I'm going for Dragon Ball, which, when I was growing up, you know, I, I was used to watching Dragon Ball Z rather than Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is probably the film uh, the TV series <laughs> You've lost me <laughs> Okay, if you don't know, I didn't even know there were two different things. <laughs> okay, Dragon Ball existed long before Dragon Ball Z. It's basically the story oh. of Goku, who you might recognise as the guy who shouts a lot and turns his hair yellow. From yeah. Also, just got to give a quick shout out to my friend in Spain who has a dog called Goku. <laughs> oh, wow. Excellent. Um, <laughs> they love Dragon Ball Z in Spain. Like, it's crazy about it. It's weird. Did they? It was really big over here as well for a while. It was um, really popular, I think. Um, but it's a Japanese cartoon series, really. Um, Goku is a. Um, when the first series, you don't really know what he is. He's just like a kid who's got a tail, and every time he, he gets into a lot of fights with people, he enters lots of martial arts tournaments. He goes looking for dragon balls, where if you get seven of them together, you can have you can summon this dragon who will grant you a wish. Um, yeah, I know it sounds a bit silly, but I think it, it, it's a really good story. I've read the comics from like beginning to end as I've got older because it was based on a manga initially but the, the cartoon series they changed little bits of it they added extra bits in extra stories and stuff so it's 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 different in certain ways Dragon Ball Z has a lot of padding in it Dragon Ball is a, it's a much funnier much um, 
more like a, a kid's cartoon series, really. Whereas Dragon Ball Z tried to be a bit too kind of epic and too big for itself, I think. Dragon Ball's really funny. Probably make it into like a martial arts film. I think most of what made Dragon Ball quite good is it's a quite a, a big, wondrous sort of adventure story, really. Uh, mimicking lots of things like uh, mainly Journey to the West, you know, Monkey? You know, mm, yeah, yes, Monkey Magic? Yeah. That kind of similar sort of story, really. But mm. the parts of the film, they take place in these um, fighting tournaments. Tenkachi Budokais, I think they're called. Well, I don't, don't really remember. <laughs> but those parts of the film, I think, are where we could have the most fun. So I would probably... I, don't, I haven't got a clue who could play Goku, mind you. In the recent film, the remake, uh, Dragon Ball Evolution, it, it was just... The whole thing was just a mess. Just completely nothing was similar. They made Goku into this, like, American bratty teenager... Just didn't didn't work at all. So don't really care who gets to play Goku as long as it's the one quite good. I'd, actually, I did remind myself I watched um, the Last Airbender recently with mm. the, the, the Shyamalan film. Yeah, absolutely, just dreadful. Really, really one of the worst films that I oh, it's terrible. Do not watch that. But they get a kid in there who's quite good at martial arts but cannot act to save his life. So hopefully, if we can get someone who's just a bit a bit of a step up from him. That would be great. But, you know, you can get lots of different sort of Asian um, kung fu stars around. You know, Eco Away is from The Raid, for example. Yeah. Young Kung Lee, who's from G.I. Joe as well, and I Saw the Devil. Kung Lee, who's from Dragon Eyes, and I mentioned he was in uh, Man, of the Fistula, Man with the Iron Fist the other week. Basically, anyone who's Asian and quite good at martial arts, get them in this film. Get Stephen Chow to come in and direct it as well. You know, um, he, he's recently made um, a Journey to the West film that came out in China, which I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing. So the story there would be obviously about the journey. So just bring him in to have a bit of fun with some sort of creative fight sequences. Bring a bit of his humour and his style to the to the to, to the story, and yeah, basically you have quite a, another fun action film. Nice. So you're you're doing a lot of fun action. Fun action films. Here, that's what yeah. that's what I thought. Well, I've got two fun action films, so I've got to yeah. try for something different. Um, and like Jerry as well, I thought I can't just have like things based on animations. So I'm going for Pat Sharp's for no, no, I'm not. That's a joke. I'm going for that'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. You could do a really meta version of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually went for um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Did anyone watch? Anyone watch that when you were little? Yeah, man. Great. Remind me of it. I might know it. It was basically. I don't know it from the title. Nickelodeon used to go off air. I think it was around sort of 7 p.m. of an evening, or it was 8 p.m. or something like that. Are You Afraid of the Dark was the last show they would put on of an evening. It was basically just a group of kids who would gather around sort of like this campfire, go out to the woods and have these secret midnight meetings, and they would tell spooky stories to each other. Um, It's one of those shows I can remember being quite scary. Uh, They would tell different stories every episode, so it was always different. They'd get new actors in and stuff. Um, But I've watched a couple episodes as an adult, and mm. it wasn't great. I think the format could really work. It's quite simple, you know. It's the same sort of, you know, you've got VHS and ABCs of Death mm. and even things like the Twilight Zone movie and Vault of Horror. They've been around for ages that make use of this sort of um, uh, anthology kind of style storytelling yeah. in horror films. I think you could do something quite good here as well. If you keep it to each member, you know, you get different directors in, so you can have anyone from, like, Ben Wheatley, who we've talked about, you know, get him in to do a particular style story, maybe something like a Cabin in the Woods type story. 
Um, mm. And then you can get Oren Pelly in to do kind of like a, a haunted house story. You get Ty West in to do like a slasher film. So basically, you know, like he, it would play up to his strengths of, of creating an atmosphere. That's what he's known for. Get lots of uh, these directors in to do something that they want. ABCs of Death, they each had like a very short amount of time to do it. And there were 26 films. Give them a bit more space, a bit more time to do something that they want. Um, I know that's kind of a bit different to <laughs> if you've got just lots of kids sitting around telling very mature adult violent horror stories it might be a bit different to what the tv series but you know i think as a, as a format it would work quite quite well actually it's, it's mm. gone down quite quite it's been quite popular recently making these sort of films yeah to, to give them the, the the platform to do it and to use that format that was you know quite nostalgic for a lot of people and i think it would just just work really well the only downside yeah, yeah. to it is you don't have the, the tension that you had with Are You Afraid of the Dark of this is the last bit of the TV that I get to control before I get the, the remote taken off me. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but have you watched any of the old episodes Any you know within the last few years, Jerry? Not, not as an adult, no. It's quite some time since I've seen it. Yeah, I would just leave it as like one of those. <laughs> yeah, I watched an episode of Keenan and Cal as an adult. That was oh, shattered so many illusions. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about Keenan and Cal, but then they did make that good burger film, which was um, not yeah. very good. I had a birthday party to go and watch that. Really, one of my birthday parties was to go and watch Batman and Robin. So I think um, I still lose. Yeah, you win on shit bingo there. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid. I also went to see Batman Forever as a birthday party as well, so that got topped when we went to see Batman and Robin. Jerry's birthday to see Jerry's birthday to see Good Burger was his twenty first. That was a good time with Have I All. <laughs> Come on, Steve, don't leave us good in suspense. What what of your films you've been you're gonna blow our mind with? But the the, the number one will definitely blow your mind. So I'll start off with number three, the tamest one. Doctor Who was probably on telly when I was a child, but I've only really known it since the the its comeback. But I want to see it because they'd have the, the TV movie, and I've watched it, and it was pretty rubbish. <laughs> it's, it, it gets a bad rap, the TV movie. I quite like it. I, I like Paul McGann as the Doctor as well. It's a bit Americanized, but it's not that bad. But anyway, I want to see a film version of Doctor Who, and they can probably do it now, because it's popular in America, so they can probably get a bit of money behind it. I want exactly the same team that's doing it now, because I think they're doing a good job, but I want to see more of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Because I thought he only had one series, but I thought it was quite mm. an interesting take, and it was quite a you know, more moody, darker Doctor. Yeah. Um, and I want them to be facing bad guy he's got no knowledge of whatsoever played by Benedict oh. Cumberbatch <laughs> <laughs> he's busy he's, Popular, he's, he's busy yeah um, there are, apparently um, one of the reasons Russell T Davis has been out in LA is because he's been trying to get a Doctor Who movie off the ground well I, I, I like that I'd like, I'd like to see a movie with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor because you start off and he talks about the time war um, mm-hmm. but you I think that would be quite... Because I'd like to know what happened before he came to Earth and met Rose. Uh, yeah. 
That that I think that would be a great film, Steve. Yeah, oh, and okay. uh, I know Eccleston doesn't want to get typecast as Doctor Who, but he's not really doing anything else, is he? I'm sure he'd take the money if you offered it to him now. <laughs> but yeah, it's a movie, so he's not committing himself to a long time. Yeah, no, it's true. I I just like the idea. The Doctor seems to know every bad guy he comes up against. He seems to know of them. So I just like the idea of him not having a clue who this person is and what they're about and what their game is and what species they are. Anything yeah. like that. Just a complete unknown enemy for him. I like it, yeah, no. Good choice, Steve. Second choice, film version of popular children's TV cartoon, Bucky O'Hare. Nice. Very good. Yes. Um, for those who don't remember or don't know, uh, it has the greatest theme tune of any kids' TV program <laughs> ever. Uh, he is a green rabbit who lives in space and fights against evil toads and mutants. Um, and he works for an organisation called SPACE, which spells space, coincidentally enough. <laughs> <laughs> Good job uh, they went into that kind of business. Then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's an acronym for something else, but it, you know, it's space. Um I would get J.J. Abrams to do this because he's quite good with space stuff lately. He's got Star Wars now. He's done Star Trek and not cocked it up completely. And this would be the crowning glory of his career of course, to do yeah. the Bucky O'Hare film. I, I, I <laughs> think he'd be you know, offering the dirt for nothing. Such a yeah. privilege it would be. Um, trying to think who... See, I'm trying to think who would play Bucky O'Hare, your central character, your main character. Because I think you could get, like, The Rock and... The staff to play like his backup team. Who yeah. Escape me at the moment. I think one was called Willie Do It. Um, <laughs> yeah. Someone oh, like Nathan Fillon in to do the uh, Bucky O'Hare that, voice. That would be cool. He's a good voice character, uh, voice actor. Yeah. And he's yeah. been a space captain in uh, uh, Firefly as well. So yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Space police um, as well. He's, he's voiced get Green Lantern characters, so mm-hmm. yeah, he's got the experience. There you go, Steve. We've just cast it for you. We've right, just helped right. you out with that final bit. Ryan Cranston's playing the bad Toad guy. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Brian Cranston's a bad guy. It's that Steve, you are such a Hollywood producer. <laughs> and th- this last one, this top of the list, is the one that yeah. ne- really blows your mind. I, I didn't I'm want to go. So excited. I did want to go for a film version of Renford Rejects, but I couldn't really figure out how, figure out how it would work, so I scrapped that. Yeah, wise. <laughs> then I went for probably, arguably one of my favourite children's cartoons ever. One that I'm genuinely annoyed that is not available on DVD, um, and the BBC must listen to me somewhere. It is The Animals of Farthing Wood. Oh, I thought about this, but I couldn't figure out a way to do it. I have. Seriously, <laughs> did you guys actually enjoy? Uh, f- I thought I thought that was what. Oh, oh, now I'm old, aren't I? Yeah, that was what younger kids watched. All right, yeah. then go ahead. It's brilliant. <laughs> I found a torrent of it once and watched all of it. Like not long ago, it, it's really good. <laughs> so depressing as well, isn't it? It oh. is quite depressing for a kids' program. There are yeah. some emotional scenes in, yeah. the, in that program. So, for those of you who don't remember, it is the story of group of animals, wild animals, in England, the woods they live in is getting destroyed because they're going to build a housing estate or something, and they have to leave. But like, some of them are like, well, we can't, we're rabbits, we can't leave a fox, we'll just eat us. So they have to make some kind of 
pact that they won't kill each other and eat each other. They'll, you know, make it to safety. And one of them, a toad, has found like a nature reserve they can all go and live on. So they make a decision to head off there. Yeah, and some of them die along the way. And it happens in nature. So, you know. My idea originally was to get to do it like Homeward Bound, but I thought you can't do that. Because, I mean, yeah, you can train two dogs <laughs> and a cat. You can't train foxes and rabbits and adders and snakes. That won't work. It just won't. So, so I'm, I'm getting Pixar to do it. Yeah, good choice. Nice. I think that would just be the ultimate crowning glory for them to do a really gritty and real and slightly depressing kids film with, a, with an ultimately happy ending. You could try something like Ardman Animations as well. Kind of give it that British flavour. Although, mm. to, to be fair to Pixar, they did well with Brave. I thought they got that spot on with Brave. The other option, you could go for, uh, you could get Ghibli to do it, because they can do, mm. they can do pretty bleak with the best of them. Well, I, I did think about that, but I've not really seen any of their stuff, so I thought yeah. that would be, you know. Uh, no, it's no, no, Pixar's a good shout. Pixar's yeah. a very good shout. Yeah. So yeah, is it a little bit, because my, my, my one for my youth would have been, it was a film, Watership Down mm. was about animals looking for a new home, and that was bad bleak cows yeah. as well. My, my, my wife can't listen to bright eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is, is it kind of, is it a, someone who's seen both of them, is it a bit like Watership Down then? Similar in tone. Yeah, Watership Down does get a bit sort of psychedelic with it, though, doesn't it? It's yeah. Like, oh yeah. It's it's not as, it's not as freaky as Watership Down. Okay. <laughs> but it, but there's some pre- there's, there's some pretty kind of like, you know. Some of the main characters die. Okay. And it's, and it's a kids' okay. program, and, yeah. and and they make no bones about it happening. It like it like happens. It doesn't always happen off screen either. Yeah. Right. Oh. Is it based on a series of books, or was it, like, it created might, for BBC? I think it might be based on some books, but I, no. I, I don't know. I don't read. <laughs> Not even children's <laughs> books. <laughs> no. any, any, anyway, the, the voice cast is all British, because it's a very British pro. Except John Ratzenberger, so I think that's part of Pixar's deal, that he's got to be in it somewhere. Mm. So he, yeah. he, can, oh, yeah. he can play one of the rabbits, because I seem to remember one of the rabbits being an absolute know-it-all, so he can be, like, just playing <laughs> Cliff Clavin as a rabbit. Yeah. Um... Michael Caine's going to be the badger because I remember yeah, the badger nice. being quite the one they went to advice for all the time, yeah. and he was kind of so he can do that. Um, Judy Dench can be the owl, and James McAvoy can be the fox, and then just fill in the rest as you go along. Pick whoever. Who would you have as the adder? No, the adder, the adder's a. a female in the cartoon but I'm going to change it to a male and have Alan Rickman because it's quite a sinister character and I think he can do that yeah <laughs> I've put a lot of thought into this one clearly yeah, it's have. good it, it has blown my mind yeah well done <laughs> and I think that is a perfect place to end this triple bill yes um are we, are we doing recommendations this week yeah we'll do we'll, we'll do them really quickly yeah Okay, well, back briefly then with recommendations next week, stuff, and all that.
Right, so who has got something to recommend to watch this week coming? Oh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I'm going to actually try... I'm going to recommend something that I've not seen, but I'm going to promise that I will watch this week and then review next week. And it's new to Netflix uh, US, so um, anyone who wants to... Uh, kind of watch a film that I'm promising to review next week. I probably won't now, but I, no, I will. Uh, it's a documentary I've been desperate to see for a long time, and it's finally appeared on Netflix. It's called Hot Coffee, um, and it's about the infamous McDonald's legal case, um, which has been cited in the media as an example of how people have become really kind of uh, suing happy uh, about the person who spilt coffee on themselves, and their M- McDonald's mm. had to pay them a lot of money because it was hot coffee, uh, and they then had to put uh, a warning on their cup saying, uh, caution, content's hot. It was all about this lawsuit. But actually, apparently it delves into the fact that it's not quite as straightforward as it seems, and a lot of these legal cases are funded by right-wing organisations to weaken civil justice uh, and to strengthen corporations. uh, There's a lot of propaganda there, uh, which means that the right wing are actually kind of publicising these cases in an effort to strengthen uh, corporations' defences against citizens suing them. So it looks like a very, very interesting documentary. I've heard a lot of really good things about it, and it's new on Netflix UK. It's called Hot Coffee. Okay, I am going to recommend a documentary as well, one of the ESPN 30 for 30 series. It's called Tell nice. It to Espars. Uh, it's set after the 94 World Cup in America where defender for Colombia, Andres Escobar, scores an own goal that knocks his team out of the tournament and gets off... Well, I can't remember when exactly he got shot off, but he pretty much got off the plane back in Colombia, got shot and killed. Um, obviously, the other Escobar is Pablo Escobar of cocaine-dealing fame. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's his official title. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, um, the 30, 30 films are great, aren't they? So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one of the few football ones on there. But it is, it is a long one as well. It's nearly two hours, but it is brilliant. Cool. Uh, Owen? Um, well, I don't really know when this podcast's going to be out, actually. If it's out in time... It then should be out tomorrow night. Excellent. Well, at 9pm on 5 USA um, is Erin Brockovich. One of Soderbergh's mm-hmm. best films, I think. Mm-hmm, so I mean, Julia Roberts, um, in, who is just fantastic throughout the whole film. If for some whatever reason it does get delayed, then Kill List is available on Love Film Instant. It's the only Ben Wheatley film that's free to stream in the UK, I think. So, yeah, if you've got I Love Film... I think it's on Netflix UK as well. No, Netflix US, sorry. Is it on Netflix US as well? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's on Really Netflix good. US, Michael yeah. Smiley's brilliant in it. Neil Maskell, who is probably more known to people from... Um, his role in Utopia. He's the hitman in Utopia, the TV series that was on Channel 4 not too long ago. Really good film. I like it. A lot of people don't, but I think it's got a cult following. And um, Yeah, if you, if you enjoy any kind of weird crime sort of drama films, then give it a go. Cool. Utopia. Okay. Um, I think someone's picking up Utopia, by the way, Owen. For a second series? Uh, I think it's being remade. There's going to be a US remake of it. Oh, no. What? Why? Why does that need uh, to be remade? With David Fincher. I can't remember whether he's producing or remaking. Whether he's directing it or producing it. But it's Fincher's involved anyway, remaking it. Oh, that, what is the point in that? The, oh, 
some of these remakes that, are, that come out of America, I mean, I know they like to remake a lot of British TV series that are popular. They've done Being Human over there, haven't they, recently as well? Yeah. Just w- w- leave it alone. It's brilliant. Was, did anyone here watch Utopia? No, I meant to and I didn't, but I heard very good things. I heard it was very unsettling. Very unsettling. The, 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 the way it's shot and the style of it as well is just fantastic. The way it's based around, like, a comic book and you've got the, the way the, the sort of the scenes sit as like panels. They just look like panels of a comic book and the way it sort of moves and stuff. Really good. Uh, oh, that, that has annoyed me, actually. It's David Fincher on HBO. There's a good chance it'll turn out all right. It just... It, Even if it's good, though, is it, it, is it a bit pointless? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I suppose... No, it, I, I'm with Owen on that. Uh, Unless it's going to do something... Just, startlingly different it just seems a little bit pointless yeah. as long as do you know what as long as they don't sell it back to us that would be the worst thing is if a channel over here then picks up the American version of Utopia that would be the ultimate yeah. in pointlessness well do you know I was trying to google the killing earlier search for the killing and the first, oh. film, the first thing that came up on Wikipedia was the US version US and I just did in the US version I wanted to find out about yeah. the Paul Bedelson the, the Danish version yeah. oh. Yeah, I'm in a mood today. <laughs> Jerry, what are, watching you, the what are you... Re- <laughs> Jerry, what are you recommending? I am recommending, in keeping with my previous discussion, Sherlock Half Eight Friday Night, BBC One, if you've not already seen it. And if you have, do what me and Steve have been doing for the past few weeks, watch Old School at 25 past 11 <laughs> on the same channel. Oh. Okay, that's all for this week then. Uh, next week will be a dual new review of uh, Monsters University and Pacific Rim. Monsters special podcast. Um, I think that's all for this week. So, thanks to everyone for contributing. Enjoy us next week. The Fail Critics podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman, with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.